Hi, I'm Charlotte Valentine, and this is Fiction Addiction. One addiction that's seriously good for your health. So please join me as we talk books and beyond. Welcome to episode three of Fiction Addiction, Books and Beyond. And I'm delighted to be joined today by my first published novelist guest, author JV4. That's her writing name, but to me, she's Jane. Jane, welcome to the podcast, and I could not be more pleased you're my first fiction author guest. Oh, thank you, Charlotte, and it's lovely to be here. Um, For the benefit of the listeners, I should add to my intro that the reason I'm here in Essex, UK, about an hour out of London in the depth of typically English countryside, where it's also typically raining, is because I was a guest on Thursday at the book launch party for Jane's latest book, Katumba. We'll be talking about that later, of course, but let me congratulate you, Jane, on a wonderful launch event. I loved being there and you and the book got such a great reception. You must be very proud. Yeah, no, it was a really, really lovely evening and it was lovely to have you there too. It was a pleasure. So on to you and your writing. Um, Can you start by telling us about how you got into writing? And in particular, I guess I'm interested in how your background, childhood, early life experiences might have informed the person you are today and the writer you are? That's kind of a long question. It's quite a long question. Um, Yeah, I, uh, I, I got into writing through, well, the, the job that I was in, I used to work in London in a, in a publishing house. And, um, uh, which we we did lifestyle magazines and I sort of did a little bit of writing there but it was more restaurant critique type style writing um, and then when I moved out of London I just decided that actually I wanted to do what I've always wanted to do and that was write um, so I yeah I just went with it and wrote my first published novel um and then that was the beginning of of the story really did you um are you someone who used to write as a child were you a child who had i don't know imaginary friends you liked making up stories is there any of that in your background there is very much that in my background um much to the uh, horror of my siblings because I had two imaginary friends called Wendy and Mandy who were very very real in my world uh, to the point that they would come over for play dates and tea and my sister wasn't allowed to have her friend because I already had Wendy and Mandy over so we would sit at the table and my sister would be like but there's nobody there. And I couldn't have my friend for tea. But Wendy and Mandy were definitely at the table. Yeah. <laughs> they were sitting next to me. So, so yeah, so I, they were very much um, part of my world. And actually, 
I was talking to my mum not that long ago saying, when did they disappear? And uh, she said, it was when you went to school. Um, so from the age of three, Wendy and Mandy, yeah, were there until I was about six. And do you, do you have any recall of why you invented them? Because didn't you tell me you had you had two sisters, I, two sisters yeah, and two sisters, a brother? Two, two brothers. And where where are you in the I'm pecking in the middle, order so of I'm the children? I'm the youngest girl and the middle. So I've got two younger two younger brothers and two older sisters. So I was kind of the loner of, of the children. You know, I was very happy with my own company. Um, and I still am. I still am. So, you know, I can... I can be out in London and we lived in London and I can be in London and feel like I've seen everybody because I've just walked around, had a coffee, blah, blah, blah. But actually I've not spoken to a soul. And I like that. Well, and, and, and to be honest, so do I. And I wonder if it's something that, um, it's maybe something that as I talk to more authors, in this, I can ask them about um, because I can very much identify with what you've just said. That I too did the whole imaginary friend thing, and I also am very happy with my own company. But I, I, I absolutely relish it sometimes, um, and I wonder if that, in part, goes with the territory of being a writer because a writer is a very soul pursuit isn't it I mean mm. you sit with a macbook or a piece of paper or whatever and it's just an intimate relationship between you and the words that really doesn't involve anybody else mm. it's it's almost the ultimate solo pursuit um yes i wonder if it's a common thread that runs through the author mentality mm. yeah and i was always going places i was always as a little girl i'd had i had a tricycle i had this amazing tricycle there was actually quite a big tricycle. Um, it was almost like a, a sort of, well, it was a tricycle, but it was almost like a kind of grown-up tricycle in the sense that it wasn't one of those little tiny things. And I just remember it. It was blue and red. Absolutely loved it. And it had a basket on the back of it, a metal basket in blue on the back of it. And I would pack it with my dressing-up clothes um, and a tiara or something. And my sister would say, where are you going? I'm, I'm off to the ball. And I was off to some ball with, I don't know who, but my mum would be like, there she goes again. <laughs> and I would try to call around the garden to some ball in, I don't know, fantasy world. Yeah, and, and it's, it's all consistent with make-believe yeah. and uh, made-up friends, made-up stories, yeah. made-up places. yeah. And there are photos of me. My dad made a, a Wendy house in the that I had in my bedroom, and it was sort of for Wendy. For Wendy, yeah, for <laughs> Wendy, and it was one that you could um, sort of flat pack. And he painted it. I remember it was like a, a pinky color, and he painted the bricks in like so it was brickwork on it. And I used to fall asleep inside it. I used to take tin foil from downstairs, cut it into the shape of a pond and put it outside the front door of my Wendy house. So that was a pond. And then I would fall asleep 
on the floor with my little nighty in my Wendy house. And next to me, open, was Snow White um, and a part of the book where she's going to bed. Mm-hmm. And that was me. I was Snow White for the night. So they're all, and I just remember that photo. I'll never forget that photo. So they're all those little things. And I must have infuriated my sisters because, you know, I was pretending to be all these things and they were like, none of that is real. <laughs> but but it, 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 it's nice to hear it. And I think it really does. Um, I think it's nice to kind of get a, a feel for, because obviously I've, I've read your um, adult books, if you like. Sorry, I could have put that better, but the things you've written as you've been an adult. Um, uh, but it's good to hear, again, those, those childhood stories because mm. it clearly has had an impact in, on, on, on what you're doing now. So let's let's kind of come up to date. And uh, one of the things that uh, strikes me about your writing, um, your now writing, if you like, is um, that you are not afraid to tackle some really quite big issues in what you write about. And as you know, one of the themes of this podcast is that I'm really interested in looking at and talking to people about how fiction, fictional plots, fictional characters can really get some messages out about big issues, can highlight things. Um, and can kind of help people to resonate with uh, some you know, some serious matters. And I know your first book was Girl on the Beach. And the theme behind that is domestic abuse. So can you talk to us about that as your first book, why you wrote it and why you particularly chose to major on that area? Yeah, I wrote it because... Um, for me, it was important to write about something like that. And it didn't need to be a book that was, you know, a woman or a man being bashed and beaten. I, it wasn't that reason I was writing it. It was more the, the letting people know that there is, it's a traumatic um, experience that carries on after the afterwards and the trauma that goes with it afterwards. Um, and I like write, writing sort of psychological thriller style books sometimes. So that for me gave me that opportunity as well to do that. Um, and it obviously had the, the sequel to it, which is the butterfly trap. But, um, I just felt it was important to just put it out there. And obviously at the time, when that was published, it was lockdown. And so those kind of people who were in a, in a relationship that was violent were suddenly locked in with the person that was, you know, doing it to them. So it must have been a terrible time um, in, in lockdown for those those people was that was that forgive me for interrupting was that the prompt for it or had you decided that that was a subject you were going to focus on in that book before lockdown and then the lockdown just 
in a way compounded that as being a good decision? Or was it partly linked to the fact that there was a lockdown and the whole COVID thing? Oh, no, that was, it was published in lockdown. So the book had already been written. Right. Um, and then The Butterfly Trap, I was writing that in lockdown. So my research for that was quite quite difficult to to get what I needed because I couldn't go anywhere. Mm. But I spoke to a lot of people on the on the phone, um, which actually was really nice as well because people were just so locked in with their families, trying to work from home but not really being able to work from home because you've got children at home, you've got dogs at home, you've got all sorts of things at home. And so it was a light relief for some people to speak on the phone to me. And and, and I remember one guy who I spoke to was in the Royal Air Force because I needed that information for the butterfly trap. And he was like, I've never spoken to an author before. This has been the most charming conversation I've had Isn't in the lovely? whole of lockdown. Yeah. Um, because everything else was just work, work, work and trying to get things done. And that was just completely different angle for him that day in his work well and and it's um it's interesting because i was actually in london rather than at home in spain i found myself in london during the lockdown and londoners actually came in for quite a bit of criticism during lockdown because people say well people are out on the streets not supposed to be and you know i would look out from my flat window because it's a high building, and look at the other high-rise buildings, which I'm surrounded by, and um, was imagining the lives people were having to live behind those windows. And there was a lot of talk in the news about, um, you know, collateral damage of these lockdowns that people who were in abusive relationships suddenly found themselves confined with the abuser and inverted commas. And I found myself feeling quite angry about those people who maybe occasionally were breaking the lockdown rules by going out and going for a walk Mm. because there were times when we couldn't even do that. And I thought, who the hell can blame people (laughs) if you're confined in a very, very small space? I mean, it it was a huge, huge Mm. problem. Um, So... Did you did you find people's um, reaction to that book? I'm, I'm thinking Girl on the Beach now. Um, did you get anybody who said to you or wrote to you and said, hey, that book really helped me because someone is understanding what this is like? Yeah, and I think as well, because it was based down here where I live, the, the, the readers that I don't know... Um, DM'd me or put a review on Amazon or put a review on Waterstones or Goodreads um, saying, I could have been Lucy. That was my life. I had a Charlie like that. So it was, it was, yeah, totally. And because I didn't write it in the sense of Lucy is being bashed around. You don't really see, I don't give any graphic like that. There's only a little, but there has to be in in the book at some point because it's a, it's a psychological thriller. But it, 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 it's not all the way through. And 
the sort I don't know, it's you sort of just follow Lucy and you follow what she was going through and the friendships that pull her up and make everything right. And that's what the readers that were coming back and saying, it's like, that was my, that was my life. And I actually had the CEO from the next chapter. She read it and she put a beautiful review in the, in the papers saying, you know, this is just a glimpse of what happens. Um, and it's been beautifully executed. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Well, and that, um, it's sort of things like that that are, are, the, are the reason why I wanted to do this podcast generally and why it was particularly good that um, you could be the first guest because I do think that um, fictional books can be really, really powerful in the way that there are lots of self-help books out there about how to cope with certain issues in life but I think there's something about it being in a fictional story Mm. that can almost make things more powerful Mm. you know someone can escape into a book but think this is talking back to me about my life and Mm. actually it's helping me Um, I don't feel alone I can identify with this heroine or hero um, whatever and um I think fiction has a really, really powerful role to play on lots of things like that. Um, Let me ask you about titles, because um, your titles are really interesting. And and The Girl on the Beach, and we now know what that's about, and that The Butterfly Trap is a follow-up. What were the reasons for both those titles? Because they're really interesting. Girl on the Beach uh, is because Lucy is a writer, and she lives in in Essex. Um, and I chose Essex because obviously I live here and I know the, the beaches and everything like that. So I'm familiar with it. Um, and she's a writer because I had to have a, a character who had a job that wouldn't be picked up by HR to say, what's going on? Right. You know, Are you okay? Mm-hmm. She needs to be in a, in a in a career that was by herself and that could have been a musician it could have been an artist it could have been a sculptor it could have been a writer um and so I chose a writer because obviously I I write so I'm able to 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 sort of do that mm-hmm. um I don't want to say why girl on the beach too much because obviously that's a spoiler but she does a lot of writing on the beach as well. So that's one reason why it's Girl on the Beach. But the other reason is a massive spoiler, so I wouldn't be able, right, to, okay, okay. Wouldn't be able to say. Yes. And The Butterfly Trap? The Butterfly Trap, uh, which is the sequel to, um, to it. So actually the ending, of the, the, the ending to Girl on the Beach is actually the middle of the story for me. Uh, But The Butterfly Trap, again, I don't want to give too much away, but it is to do with the police. Right. Um, And, yeah, it's to do with the CID. And there's the DI in Girl on the Beach and there's the DI in The Butterfly Trap, the same person. Um, And he's just a great, a great guy with morals. 
So let's move on to book number three, Jack's Story, another intriguing title. I know that this one, um, you cover the whole issue of PTSD. So can you talk to us about that? And I guess the first and most obvious question is, who's Jack? Yeah, Jack. Um, Jack is a wartime hero. Um, It's based in um, Arnhem and also in Devon. Um, And it is the story of a young paratrooper who drops with the planes into Arnhem, which is occupied by Nazis, and sort of follows the life of Jack and his comrades in that in that period and then fast forward to 1948 and we're in Devon and Jack is a farmhand or a little bit more than a farmhand but he's sort of living in a farmer's cottage working the farm with um, the farmer and his wife and their evacuee children, although they're not their children, they are their um, nieces and nephews. Um, And so that's where the PTSD comes into it, because Jack, in his dreams, or should really be nightmares, um, screams out, and, and those parts of that life of war are heard by one of the characters. What was the prompt or the inspiration to write about post-traumatic stress syndrome? What got you to that? I think all of my Disorder, books, sorry. Yeah, I think... Well, an extra S in there is PTSD, not PTSS, so yeah. post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, I think most of, the, most of the issues that I cover, I have covered in... Counseling. Not my. I was going to ask you. You've 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 got some background in counseling. Yeah. So I did a. I trained in counseling, and so I'm in inverted commas a trainee counselor. But I didn't finish it. I had level four to do. We went into lockdown, and I kind of lost my mojo with it. And it's actually quite hard. It's actually quite hard on you um counseling so i yeah so so a lot of it those are the sort of issues that i cover because i've had to write about them and had to um listen to people with those traumas i guess and um in addition to that did you um, do some research on Jack's book. And the impression I get is that you do quite a lot of research for your books and you look at locations, etc., etc. What research did you do for Jack's story? Jack's story, I uh, was in touch with a paratrooper who is a paratrooper in current wars, so Afghanistan and um, everywhere. So he was with the Parachute Regiment. And... He told me what what it's like 
to be a soldier. And he told me what it's like to be a soldier in the fuselage of a plane that you're about to drop out of and how the boys will literally just vomit over each other's parachutes before they jump. Jump, Jumping was, was the fear, but jumping into what they were jumping into was the bigger fear. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I spoke to him throughout, throughout the book. Uh, I had to learn what a battalion was, what a regiment was, how many there were and all of those things. This kind of language that they would use, um, the swearing that was part of that language. There was no, you know, would you, would you mind holding my gun? Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, the F word yeah. throughout. Pretty continuously, I would have thought. Yeah, and um, so he was like, he was my massive research. And he's one of the, he is the, the acknowledgement in, in the book but he wanted to remain anonymous. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Colchester um, Parachute Regiment. I was invited there. I went onto the plane that would have been the plane that flew into Holland. Um, I lifted up the, the parachute bag and the bag that carried all of their kit in. And it's heavy. It's heavy. Um, I went into the cockpit. Um, yeah, so I, I had all of that given to me. And then I was invited down to Duxford, which is in, I think it would be Cambridgeshire. I think the county it would fall into. Um, and I was shown around there, the parachutes, um, regiments, um, museum, So I was shown that, I was shown the rations, I was shown everything. Uh, They must have been delighted that you were, A, so interested, and B, that you were going to write about it. I'm sure Mm. they were kind of honoured to uh, show you around. Have they, have some of them seen the book? Have any of them read the book? The book cover actually was made by them. So... That initially they were going to, because I do all the book covers, my, not, I don't do them all myself, but I have a massive input into what that cover's going to look like. So Girl on the Beach is my own photography and the butterfly trap is what I wanted and then I said I want a butterfly on it and all of those things came together. And then Jack's story, I wanted to have a rifle and I wanted to have the helmet Partly because that part of that picture is in the book. And I don't want to say too much about it because obviously it's a, it would spoil it. So we were in talks of how I was going to get that picture because it needs to be an English helmet and an English rifle. It couldn't be American. Um so they were going to send me the rifle unloaded to me uh, with the helmet and I was going to set the scene up on the estuary where I windsurf because that's about two miles in width from shore to shore and that's about the same distance as the Rhine. So that would have worked perfectly. 
Then there was, I think, there was a massive shooting or something in Plymouth. So the guys at Duxford were like, we really shouldn't be sending you up a rifle just because this is big news at the moment. What do you want? We'll set it up here. And so they did. They set it up and it was a beautiful sunny day and they took lots of different pictures and that was the one I went with. How nice. Yeah. Yeah. I do need to send them a book. I keep meaning to, and it's one of those things I just keep forgetting, but yeah, they need to be sent a book or two. And when did that, when did Jack's story? That came out on, Arnhem Arnhem was the 17th of September, 1944. And so my publication date was the 17th of September, 2020. One, yeah. we're coming up to our first anniversary. Twenty, yeah, because we're twenty-three now, yeah. aren't we? Twenty-one. So that, and then with that, I was on um, Radio Suffolk on Remembrance Sunday. How nice! So I was interviewed by them, which was such a that was overwhelming because quite emotional. I would have thought, yeah, and it was also because you know I'm just. Jane, and that's just Jack's story. And Remembrance Sunday is so big for so many people. And you've got the cenotaph and you've got the minute silence and all of that. And I was on the radio. Yeah. On the radio for that. Oh, well deserved. That that prompts another question in my mind, actually. Um, You're Jane, he's Jack. Um, And the question is, um, how do you feel as a woman writing male characters do you have a preference of male characters or female characters but particularly with Jack's story obviously you're, you're, you're writing about a man how do you find that process I I really enjoy it and I actually much prefer it so a lot of my characters my big characters are men um, and I particularly liked writing Jack's story because because of my counselling side, you hear men cry when they talk and you hear them be vulnerable. And normally with a wartime book, generally they're written by men. And 99 out of 100 times... They're written by men who have been in the forces. And so you don't actually get the emotion. You get the bravado, you get the guts, you get the gore, you get the courage, but you don't get the breakdown. And just because I'm a woman, I was able to put that softer side to a man and the fear and the cowardice and the feeling of, I just want to go home. Yeah, well, and I suppose um, a degree of, um, I can imagine that um, when all those emotions come out in males, there's a feeling of um, inadequacy it was inappropriate time looking and feeling or sounding wimpish because I really don't want to be here Mm. um so 
yeah, and 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 uh, a, a woman probably would bring more of that to it. But is there also um, you know, an element here of, I mean, the whole concept of PTSD is something that really hasn't had airtime or enough airtime for long enough. I mean, for a long time, I'm sure um, it, it was just buried. Mm. You know, people just didn't think about it. Guys came back from war zones and were just expected to pick up where they left off mm. um, with no sense of perhaps people wanting to confront, hey, but something very, very significant has changed. Mm. You know, there's been an experience since he walked out of this house between then and now he's walked back into it he must be a different person Mm. and I guess for a long time that just people didn't want to acknowledge that or confront it or talk about it Mm. yeah and I think as well I mean when I was talking to the guy who helped me with the the research he was saying you know we see we see such I didn't use the words such horrible stuff he used words with a little bit more graphic and um have been bleeps on a you know watershed sort of thing but he said you know we are we're out there shooting shooting people who also have a family and children and then we come home and we go down to the fish and chip shop and we go and get fish and chips and life is normal but it's not normal but it is yeah exactly because something has yeah changed because you know yesterday I shot, I shot dead a man, hmm. you know. So, yeah, the, that, there's that. And then I also watched a film with Dirk Bogart, who was the officer in, and it was a black and white film, and it was a World War Two film. No, not World War Two. it was World War One. And they had the court scene in a bunker. So one of the officers was the, the barrister, one of the officers was the judge, then you had the do- the doctor who was also an officer, and then you had the young man who had gone AWOL because it had just all become too much. And Dirk Bo- Bogart is his is his lawyer, you know, and and defending him, and he's sort of saying, why would this man go AWOL in in um, in wherever they were? enemy enemy territory in full uniform that's not the mind of a sane man and that was all shell shock and yet he was being tried and then his soldier comrades would shoot him that's how bizarre war war was Mm. the guy you're sitting next to in a trench is the man who's going to shoot you because you've gone AWOL it's, and it's, that's the, and that's all to do with shell shock. Yeah. Then, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, war just is horrific, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I, you, know, you look at the world and you think, why are we still fighting wars? Mm. I mean, it's the ultimate stupidity, mm. the ultimate insanity. It solves nothing. Mm. Uh, you know, here we are with the Ukraine. Crisis and all the um, you know, gl- the global impact of that, but 
fundamentally, the reason why the Ukraine situation is horrible is because innocent people are losing their lives for absolutely no good reason. Mm. There mm. is no good reason. for you, you can't find anything to salvage this or legitimise it. It's War is just awful. Mm. Um, yeah, well, it, 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 I have to say Jack's story is uh, um, it's an emotional book, clearly, but again, one that um, I would have to think people would read and um, it would resonate with people who are aware of that condition, but also for people who have no experience of it. I mean, a, it's a very, very good story, well written. Um, but again, it's just building awareness mm. because all those sorts of things, you know, PTSD and other um, mental health issues, all need to be much higher in everybody's agenda. We need to understand it. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you for talking us through Jack's story. So now we come bang up to date with Katumba. And again, what a fantastic evening that was on Thursday. You must have just loved every minute of that. Yeah, no, it was. It was so it was so lovely and it was just just lovely having a room full of faces that some I knew and some I just had no idea who they were. But they all knew who I was. And it was an incredibly supportive group of people and one of the things that was interesting to me, because you were nice enough to ask me to kind of open it with a welcome and a toast and unusually for me I got incredibly emotional and then of course you did the same thing um, and I think in part for me it's because obviously I've read Katumba and I'm going to talk about my reaction to it in a minute um, but it's a very emotional book and as I started to say you know hello and welcome I looked at all the books lined up in this wonderful cover um, which unfortunately you know, the listeners can't see, um, but it's it's fabulous. And, of course, I'm immediately taken back to uh, my reading of the book and how emotional I got about the story. And suddenly I was almost blubbing when I was trying to speak. Um, but that speaks volumes about the book, actually, Jane, about the power of the story. And um, so before I ask you to talk about it, um, perhaps the best way to um, perhaps convey to the listeners... Um, my reaction to it is because again you were kind enough to ask me to be an author reviewer of it so you know my words of review are on the back cover so I think I'm just going to read those because it sums up exactly how I felt about this book an intensely moving story of tragedy and hope beautifully told its compelling characters show us the in indomitable forces of nature and the human spirit and the ultimate power of love, a story that will stay with you long after the final page. And I should add, I wrote those words quite deliberately. Um, I think I messaged you and said, I finished the book and I'm going to write the words right now. 
And I pretty much did and just knocked those words out because it just seemed important with this book in particular to get my thoughts down with the emotions I felt immediately when I'd finished it. Um, and when I read them now, I'm, I'm taken back to the story. It really is incredibly powerful. So I've talked for long enough. It's over to you to talk about Katumba, inspiration behind it, why you wrote it. Yeah, no, Katumba, uh, the, why I wrote it uh, was because back in 2019, I think everyone remembers that, that news coverage of the little Syrian boy that was found on the Turkish beach. And I think he was something like two or three years old. That image just stayed with me uh, right from the from the beginning of it, and I got heavily involved with um, sending stuff out to the to the jungle in Calais, and I would have a kitchen table full of tents, sanitary wear, clothes, soft toys, books. Everything, everything. Um, and then these guys would come and pick them up in the dead of night and take them over to, to the jungle because at that time the French had stopped us being able to. So then it was a team of men that were allowed to do it. For the charity. Yeah, yeah. so, and I guess it was a safer thing because you just, you know, me driving off and leaving four children and, you know, trundling off in a transit van probably wasn't my best idea but um so that's what really inspired me to write about the content of the story but Africa and what gave me the inspiration of that part was because my dad worked out in Sierra Leone as a mission doctor with another doctor friend um on tropical diseases and um, he, he just told me all the stories. I was, I think, I was about 12 when he went out there for a month. And um, he gave them, he gave them when he, when he left, their, his medical book that just had a list of medical words in it, but they wanted English words. So they were like, can we have your book? Can we have your book? So he left them that. And then I have a, uh, I have three bangles that, because I love jewellery and I love dressing up as a child. So I had three bangles that the African women in the village had made. So he gave me those as my little gift and also a little trinket box, which was like a little urn, actually. And I've had it all these years. And then I actually found it the other day on my husband's desk with his cufflinks in. So he loved it. I was like, don't you break that, because I've had that for a very long time, and it's come from Africa, you know, Sierra Leone. So, yes, and I was wondering where it disappeared to. But, yes, on my husband's desk. And um, the interesting thing about uh, Kutumba, and maybe you can give us a very short overview of um, uh, the story, but given the the event that 
inspired it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking people can guess at um, the sort of story we're uh, talking about, hence the comment about tragedy and hope and people having to leave a country, finding themselves in another one and not knowing kind of quite where they're winding up and how welcome they will be, etc., etc. Um, what's interesting is that it's another example. When you talked about Jack's story, it, it, dual location, Arnhem, Devon, and here we have Africa and actually deal in Kent, don't we? Um, um, that seems to be quite an interesting concept to me, and one that, you, that you've now used at least twice, setting things in dual locations. Do you enjoy that? Do you just find that a challenge, or is it, or, is it actually accidental because of those two stories? No, it's not accidental. I like, I love writing like that. And in actual fact, the butterfly trap is the same because that's Spain and England. So, um, yeah, I, I've, the only one that I haven't done it in actually is Girl on the Beach mm. and that's set in Essex and that's where it's set. But yeah, they, they all jump from country to country or... Yeah, well, country to country, really. Um, and I love that style of writing. Well, and and certainly for the, 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 the two that I know, Jack's story and um, Katumba, um, that duality works very well because part of the story is the incredible contrast between those two locations mm. in, in both cases. So it, it, it's sort of interesting. Um do you want to give us a is there a kind of preceded overview you can give us of the story or uh, what, a little bit of a, an idea of what the story's about yeah without ruining it too much um yeah i mean katumba obviously we've kind of said is is based in two locations so i think those that haven't read it will probably guess perhaps why mm-hmm. and obviously Kent being a coastal town um, or county rather um, but the story basically is about a doctor in London who wants to go over to Africa to write his medical papers and it be a sabbatical and because of his his leanings to religion, he doesn't get the job in the mission hospital because it's run by Christians. So he is turned down um, to, for the sabbatical. But instead he's thrown another... I don't know, um, another idea, and that is to go over and be a doctor out there. And that's what happens. So he goes out and he is the doctor in an African village. Um, and we sort of flit, flit from Kent to Africa, Kent to Africa, because of the story that then happens in Africa. And obviously it's about refugees mm-hmm. 
It's about needing asylum, maybe, and having a whole dollop of hope. Yeah, yeah. And um, we won't say how Manchester United comes into it, but there's a lovely um, piece in it where um, Manchester United comes in and those are things that kind of run through the story, really. And again, it's contrast between children um, in Africa and then um, what happens here. Um, I think that's probably enough to give people um, an overview because it, it it is very much one of those books that you just have to pick up and then you just find you run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's... It's really not one where um, I would have expected you to answer my question with a synopsis of the whole story. You almost can't do that. I think the um, the thing that I would hope that listeners would pick up, who hopefully will decide to um, uh, read the book, is and it's very much how I reacted to it. It's uh, um, I mean it's a roller coaster. Um, it's emotional. Um, but it's very much a story that um, you know, makes you think about, you know, where there's tragedy, if there's hope, and you know, love is out there and goodness is out there. Things can be resolved, but mm. people have to read it too. Mm. Feel that same way. Um, I suppose now. I of course know what the title signifies and who or what Katumba is. Is that something that you want to give the listeners an insight into? Why Katumba? I think Katumba was um, was used because in Swahili it means playful and there needed to be an element of playfulness that runs through the book because there's such a lot of tension yeah. and emotional intensity. And emo- yeah. yeah. And so it sort of needs to have that light hearted um, way. And also it needed to have for the children as well, when they, when they are in another country, they're able to remember Katumba, and not just remember Katumba and the the meaning behind it, but also remember the elephants, because for me the elephants played a massive part in that book. Well, the elephants, uh, I mean, I, I I I could almost go back to the emotion of Thursday at the mention of elephants. Um, uh, very moving the passages on uh, the elephants, and uh, um, but back to Katumba. Um, I mean, I fell in love with Katumba. Mm. I think you know that. I've told you that. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's a it, it really is a superb book, Jane. You must be very Thank proud you. of it. Um, is there anything you want to? Is there a short passage you can read from it? I can read a very short passage, which will give you a little bit of why it's Katumba, but without spoiling Absolutely. it. Yeah. No, because I, 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 and I'm, I'm glad that you're not um, 
going into detail about Katumba because for me, one of the things I loved about reading the book was when I understood why Katumba. So I would hate to spoil that for other people, but yeah, by all means, give us a give us a few lines. <laughs> okay, so. Then from amid the deep, rich green leaves, he lobbed a mango at Sam, walloping him straight in the stomach. Sam bent up, his leg in a knee-jerk reaction. Hey, little chap, steady on. Do you think it's funny? I don't want to say too much now because I'm going to (laughs) give something away. So I'm going to skip a little bit and uh, read the next little bit. So, my little friend, I'm Sam. And you? Katumba, Sam whispered. I'm going to call you Katumba. Perfect. I did have to skip out quite yeah, a bit. Yes, there, I, was I, kind of, I, was, I was kind of thinking of the passage as you were um, reading that. I think we'll, um, I think we'll leave Katumba there. Yes. The rest about Katumba is a voyage of discovery for people. So, yeah. uh, Jane, uh, I'm just going to wind this up by saying it's been an absolute pleasure. So one final question. Oh, yeah. One final question. Um, so we've talked about four books. Which is your personal favourite? Well, I think at the moment, Katumba. I had a feeling you might say that um and yeah i can see that in part that would be because it's your most recent but i have a sense it would be your personal favorite even if we were having this conversation three years from now and you'd got another book out i just have a sneaky suspicion that katumba is perhaps always going to be closest to your heart could i I be right yeah i think so because there's an emotional connection and if my head was in the right place back in 2009, when this story was bubbling, 2009, 2019, when this story was bubbling around in my head, I would have written it then. But it was just way too emotional for me to do that. And are you pleased that you didn't and that you wrote three other things? And, um, you know, I'm a writer too, and I think without question the more you write, the more you hone your craft. Mm. Do you think, given that this story is very close to your heart and it's uh, and it is a powerful one, are you now quite pleased that you left it till now so you brought some of your writing experience to bear on a book that is clearly of huge importance to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, yeah, you do, like anything in life, you perfect your craft, don't you, as you go along? Absolutely. And I think... Yeah, Yeah. Timber has certainly done that. Well, and here's to the next book, um, which, of course, you shared a little bit with me about, but we will leave that for a future podcast to share it with others. So for now, Jane, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for inviting me to um, uh, be a reviewer of the book. Thank you for inviting me on Thursday night. And thank you for being my podcast guest. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you ever so much, Charlotte. It's been an absolute pleasure. Here's to the next time.